this week's edition of the Sportsaholic Podcast. And folks, it will not be a short show this week. We actually got some content to divide into, a lot of things happening, including our series recap of The Last Dance. But before we get into any of that and our new portion of the show, actually, that we're very excited to start this week. I know Sean is as well as I am. Sean, what are you up to this week first before we get into all of that? You know, I've been uh, biking a lot more. Actually, I only biked three days this week since the weather. And I'm not going to be able to bike for the next, the next week since it got you know, rain in the forecast for the next like seven days. But I got 55 miles in in the last three days. So I've been uh, been burning my hamstrings quite a bit. And uh, outside of that, cooking a lot of good food. A lot of Irish foods, too. Nice. I, uh, I, I made on Monday, I made this. Uh, corned beef brisket and usually you make corned beef like you know in the oven or in the crock pot i try to dip it a different way i cooked it on the charcoal grill over over, uh, indirect heat for like two hours kind of add a little smokiness to it as well but it was absolutely fantastic i paired it with sides of uh of potato leek soup and Mm. uh caramelized carrots and the the caramelized Mm. carrots were glazed with a Jameson and ginger blend, and it was, I mean, absolutely oh. just a fantastic meal. And I've just kind of been on an Irish kick all week. I made uh, corned beef hash out of that corned beef. I uh, We made what I called a patty melt. It's kind of like a, you know, a, not P-A-T-T-Y, but P-A-D-D-Y. Yeah, uh, corned beef melt. and yeah, uh, sure. And Irish cheese, and then we glazed some, uh, some or caramelized some onions, I should say, with Smittics and some spices it was it was fantastic yeah that sounds badass sean conway a little bit more badass in the way of the corned beef that i'm currently making as we're podcasting yours sounds a little bit more intense i just got the uh, traditional pot crack way of doing it with a little bit of guinness some potatoes, cabbage, and of course carrots to go with the corned beef that I'm going to make tonight. I'll finish those other three Guinnesses that were, you know, left in the four pack. I'm just sad to use one to make it. But nice, Sean, this sounds really good. Uh, I'm glad we made our briskets, well, our corned beefs, I should say, this week. And uh, I also made barbecue sauce, of all things, this nice, week. I nice. kind of made it, yeah. Yeah, I made it uh, more spicy. It was a more spicy blend. I think some people know that I love to make hot sauce. I've been trying to make a couple different barbecue sauces, and I feel like this one was definitely my best batch. There you go. There you go. What's uh, what's the next sauce you're thinking about making? You know, honestly, I think I just bought some uh, while I was at Walmart today buying the corned beef. I bought some liquid smoke today, Sean. So I think I'm going to make uh, a smoky hot sauce. Or a smoky type of barbecue sauce. Cool, cool. That'll be fun. Maybe we'll talk some more about uh, about what's been cooking or something next week when we have our show. But that'd be maybe Sounds a new segment we could, start, we could throw into our new segment. But speaking of new segments, <laughs> this is going to be the first week we do our matchups in the bids and snubs bracket. Like I mentioned last week, this is going to be a bracket including all four major sports. We're going to not include soccer because it's not quite you know up there in the major sports at least in our opinion only 25 years hockey and basketball but anyway we're gonna start with baseball 32 players 16 on each side 16 bids 16 snubs like i mentioned a bid is someone who is still eligible but is just on the on the cusp of yes or no will they make the hall of fame 
Meanwhile, a snub is someone who is no longer eligible or did not receive eligibility throughout their career, or after the career, I should say. And those are then the snub categories. 16 and 16, first round of both of, on both sides. We're going to do two matchups per week, just kind of fly through this real quick before we do one matchup per week once we get to the second round and, and on. And then from there, final four will be a Major League Baseball player, National Football League player, an NBA player, and an NHL player going at it to see who is the biggest bid or the biggest snub of all time. I think it's going to be pretty fun. Should be content for the next year, really, for us, Max. Yeah, I'm excited to get going. Yes. We're going to start this week with the inspiration behind this bracket, actually, which was my favorite pitcher of all time, Mark Burley, like we mentioned. And he's going to be taking on Max Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy, Why don't you go yes. ahead and start off in telling me what gives Jimmy Rollins his bid. Well, let's start off that he's a three-time All-Star, four-time Glove Award winner, and one of the best, I feel like, overall shortstop, Sean, in our generation. He's an MVP. He did so in 2007, and obviously he appeared in World Series in 2008-2009, getting his ring in 2008 against the Tampa Bay Rays. Historically, though, uh, Sean Conway, we're looking at something uh, that doesn't get done often anymore, and that's uh, triples. Jimmy Rollins led the league in triples four different times, and including having 20 triples which is not heard of in today's world. 20 triples during his MVP season in 2007 again. He finished with 115 career uh, triples, 511 doubles, and 2,455 hits. He's one of, again, great great player, great shortstop, gold glove uh, caliber guy, and has a 46.7 career war according to baseball reference. What do you got for Burley, sir? Well, Mark Burley, along with uh, as well as being a World Series champion with the uh, the White Sox in 2005, he had 14 straight seasons of 200 plus innings in in the season of uh, innings pitch, I should say. In his last season, he was only an inning and one third short from hitting 200. Net. So his only other season where he didn't hit 200 was his rookie year. So that's just wow. incredible. He was a workhorse, you know, one of the last of the breeds. I can't tell you how many times, uh, you know, how many complete games he had. I didn't mark that down. I can look it up real quick. I'll bring it up before the end of this. But he had a career war of 59.1. His ERA was 381, five-time All-Star, four Golden Gloves. He had the no-hitter and the perfect game. So he's already etched in immortality in the MLB for being one of the few people who have ever thrown a perfect game. But on top of that, I feel like his resume kind of just blows Jimmy Rollins out the water. I don't think it blows him out the water, Sean. I mean, they're both World Series champions. And if you forget, I mean, Burley only had one year that he finished in the top five for the Cy Young Award. And that was your World Series um Season I, Again, I don't think he blows him out. But for this bracket, I do think, again, when you go 14 consecutive years, really 15 if you really think about it, Sean, consecutive years of 200 straight innings, again, you're a dying, you know, it's a dying breed. The next person who's probably going to do that is someone who's probably in the third or fourth grade right now. You just don't see it. Uh, again, for this bracket, I do like, though, Burley 
to go on. To answer your question, though, Sean, uh, Burley had three. Yeah, with ten of those being shutouts. And actually, the, the important thing here is he had four complete games his last season, which led Major League Baseball that year during his age 36 season. So you're right, he's the true... Total under work, uh, work hours and with 214 wins, I think you're right. Let's uh, let's let's have Burley go in. Nothing against Rollins, but let's get to our next matchup, which is Tim Hudson and Bobby Abreu. Like Burley, sir, this guy uh, is a workhorse himself. Uh, Tim Hudson, one of the greatest uh, pitchers I've ever seen, was part of those you know Moneyball Oakland teams, including uh, when he won 20 games. And was an all-star in 2000. Wow, that was 20 years ago. Jesus, making me feel old here, Tim Hudson. Uh, 222 career wins versus 133 losses. A lifetime ERA of 3.49. World Series ring in 2014 when he was an all-star with the Giants. And a four-time all-star overall. But again, one of the most consistent pitchers that I've ever seen. Great sinker baller, uh, really knew how to control uh, control the zone and get favors with you know from umpires with calls because of how nasty his sinker was. Baseball Reference has Tim Hudson with a 57.9 career war, and I think that that should solidify him. But let's hear your arguments for Bobby Abreu. So Bobby Abreu had a war of 60.2 over his career. His batting average 291. 288 home runs, 400 stolen bases. I mean, that's that's a pretty significant feat. A pretty decent slash line at 395, 475, 870. Two-time All-Star, one Golden Glove, led the league once in his career in triples with 11, and then and that was in 1999, and then 2002 had led the league in doubles with 50. So he was another one of those, you know, multi-base hit phenoms that uh that we got to see throughout our lifetime no he was a great hitter and actually i think it was the 2005 home run derby before that a big one before josh hamilton put in in 2008 that was probably the best home run derby or at least the first round that i've ever seen but i mean that's not enough to give him a bid like you said he's a two-time all-star the thing with abreu he was never elite he never finished in the top 10 ever in the mvp like he never really had like elite years he was always consistently like you said a good hitter a really good hitter and exactly i don't think a lot of people i'm really glad sean you brought up the point of the 400 stolen bases people forget you know people think of him as you know a great doubles hitter a guy who could hit a couple you know 25 30 home run type guy and drive in 90 to 100 but people forget what a great threat he was on the uh on the base pass, but unless you're against it, I still think uh, Hudson had a more dominant stretch uh, during his career than Abreu to oh, yeah, advance no, I, into I the next. I completely agree. I completely agree. All right, then. Well, so it looks like we got two pitchers uh, for the bids part going on, Mark Burley and Tim Hudson. Now let's get to the snub side of the bracket. Sean, this guy is such an interesting case to me, and that's Mr. Thurman Munson, who is a seven-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove Award winner, Rookie of the Year, MVP, won two World Series with the Yankees, uh, and had a 46 career war uh, to baseball reference, uh, you know, great player, was consistent, you know, unfortunately, we all know what happened, he died in that tragic plane uh, crash, Sean, and so he never really got to fully live out the rest of his career, 
So I really like Munson, though. I've always found him to be one of those guys underappreciated, and that's why I kind of had him for uh, my bid. I know you're taking Lance Berkman here. What do you got on Burke? So Berkman had a 52 war, uh, 366 home runs. So that's almost three times the amount of Munson there. He had a better slash line with uh, 406, 537, 943. Uh, his batting average was 293 in his career. Six-time All-Star. He had five-plus 30, 30 home run seasons. 30-plus, I should say. Home run seasons. I think with that, on top of that, you know, only four years longer of a career... Munson might have the rookie of the year and MVP over him in the, on the resume. But I feel in this case, Munson was not so much of a snub getting into the Hall of Fame as much as he was robbed of an opportunity because who knows where he could have done in those last four years to, you know, solidify his case. Yeah, I think that's a good way, Sean. And I'll agree then here with Berkman. I'll take your side here. Like you said, five years of 30-plus home runs. Munson, his career high was 20. And I know we're talking about a first baseman outfielder versus a catcher, obviously. But still, there is that uh, power significance. And like you said, he got robbed here, Sean. You know, it's not like it's Roberto Clemente who got his 3,000 hit to solidify himself in baseball's immortality on his last bat before, you know, he was delivering food to Nicaragua before that playing, you know, accident obviously happened. He had that Hall of Fame career. I'm looking more into Munson. 1,558 career hits uh, isn't going to get you there. I even thought of a guy like a, a Jorge Posada who might have even been on this list who had five World Series. So, you know, I mean, you could really kind of pinch and pull, uh, around uh, Munson in this case. So, yes, we'll have Berkman go on. Last of our matchups, Sean, uh, Tommy John. Let's get into this one. Tommy John, what a hell of a pitcher he was. We all know him for the Tommy John surgery. Yeah, I mean, but this he's, man he's, was not, a, he's not in the uh, in the Hall of Fame, but he's, you know, been uh, immortalized in MLB history. No, without a doubt, but I think he should see a bid for uh, the Hall of Fame. I mean, I think at this point, or I should say, I feel like he's been snubbed. I should say he should get another bid. Johnny's got 288 career wins, which, uh, you know, I mean, it only puts him 12 away from that magical number 300. I know he had 231 career losses, but ERA-wise, 334 and a 338 FIP. I mean, those are pretty much matching ERAs and FIPs. I mean, this guy dominated the league. And even when he came back from that original Tommy John surgery, this guy, uh, this guy, you know, he was a Cy Young, uh, not award winner, but he finished second twice and he finished fourth once. And that was after his surgery. So I like Tommy John more, uh, going into the next round, especially with the 61.6 career war. All right. Well, Dick Allen doesn't have quite that resume. I'm not sure if he's going to have enough to beat Tommy John here at a 58.8 war throughout his career. 351 home runs, so pretty pretty decent numbers there. 292 batting average, a decent slash line at 378, 534-912. Seven-time All-Star, he was the AL MVP in 1972, as well as being the NL Rookie of the Year in 1963. And then he also had six 30-plus home run seasons decent resume not sure if it quite stacks up to uh that of tommy johns I, I i'll have to agree with you there max 
All right. Well, I appreciate you taking me on Tommy John. I just again, I, I just feel for a guy that was just twelve wins short of three hundred. What I the agree. significance he had? Right. Exactly. He has to move on. But either way, let's move on from this segment this week, Sean, and let's get to our next segment here. Is we're going to recap what we saw, what we really liked about the Last Dance, all about Michael Jordan. Coming up next, right here on the Sportsholic Podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway, taking us out to break today. We are going to have some. Music. Once again, it'll be Jason James with his song, Five. to the Sportsaholics podcast. That was five by Jason James. Max, I'm glad you chose five as the song to use here because we're going into talking about the documentary that ESPN just did called The Last Dance. It was a 10-part series, which kind of was based around Jordan's pursuit of number six. So he had five, and now he's going into six here. So I like what you did there. Anyway... We didn't really talk much about The Last Dance throughout the last couple of weeks that it was airing because, one, you didn't watch it live uh, throughout the rest of the coverage like I I was. But on top of that, I felt it was kind of cheesy that ESPN was just week in and week out just talking about Jordan, Jordan. It was like it felt like it was 1996 again. All it was was Michael Jordan on ESPN, (laughs) which I'm not complaining about. But, I mean, we already heard enough of the who's the goat from – What's that that douche from uh, from Fox Sports? Is it Nick Wright? His sole job is to argue whether or not LeBron's the goat, and he always argues that LeBron is the goat. But it, He's I feel like the last five <laughs> weeks have been who's the goat? Is LeBron? Is it MJ? No, Kobe's got to be thrown in the mix. I don't think so. You're forgetting about Wilt Chamberlain. How about Max Johnson, Larry Bird? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, people! It's different eras. It's you can't really compare them. Right. Anyway. It's hard in basketball. Let's go back to talking about The Last Dance. I almost got on a little uh, tangent there. But The Last Dance kind of broke down, you know, one and two each. They they had two episodes each night, or each Sunday, I should say. And the first one kind of, you know, 
followed Michael on his rise from, you know, high school to college to just starting with the Bulls and everything. And then three and four were, you know, after Michael's, you know, 80s, you know, runs when everything's starting to, you know, get there. Like, you're almost there, and then they fall. And from there, it was, you know, the Dream Team and talking about Space Jam, his stint with the with the Birmingham Barons, which is why I'm wearing a Birmingham right. Barons hat today. And, uh, you know, then doing the, the, you know, the second three-peat and the last two episodes pretty much just followed that 1998 season. And then episode 10 just followed that finals series, which was just, it was just an incredible series a lot of nostalgia there for mm-hmm. me and a lot of things, you know, that I didn't quite pick up on as a kid that I, you know, that I, I really enjoyed learning about this, you know, that era that I didn't get to, you know, really know about because it was, you know, just over my head. Max, what were some of the things that kind of stood out to you that you liked? Well, what I liked and didn't like, I'm going to start with what I didn't like. I mean, to be honest with you, Jerry Krause's statements to start that documentary were irking, you know, saying Phil could go 82-0 and 0 and he'd be fired. I mean, Jesus, come on. Like, you know, I understand that those guys work more at the tail end, but, you know, Michael makes the point at the end of the movie, had you given us all a one-year deal, we really think we could have made it seventh in hell. If we could have made it seventh, he said, I would have been fine with ending it there or even getting our seventh, you know, kind of, I would, you know. But, like, man, I just feel like that was kind of uh, a bogus. Not that, I, you know, I, th- I feel like part of the documentary kind of bashed Jerry Krause for that. And in a way, rightfully so, him and Jerry, they really should have, you know, pocketed a little bit more more money, in my opinion, to go for a deeper run, Sean, um, or another run, I should say, at it. I mean, who cares if you lose the next year? It's not that big of a deal, but to not even try. And that's kind of how that story uh, started one of the reasons though Sean I don't think they would have been able to is Scotty Pippen he was one of the most underpaid players in the league I didn't know this he was the 122nd overall paid player in the league he signed a seven-year 18 million dollar deal which obviously was a steal for um, for us for Chicago here but I did not um, you know, I did not know that speaking of Scotty Pippen uh, how about when Michael did leave the team, and uh, Pippen quit on the team in the playoffs. You know, Phil choosing Tony Kukoc to make the final shot with 1.8 seconds to go instead of Pippen. I just, I forgot how Scotty kind of quit on the team. So that memory brought me a little bit of sadness. And again, same with, uh, you know, the original reaction from Jerry Krause about 82-0. and Uh, However, on the Jordan side of things, Sean, the two things that really stood out to me is how, yeah, how about when Jordan comes back, like you said, from baseball, you know, he tried that out with the Barons, and he comes back and he scores 55 points at the Garden in his fifth game back. That game, to me, was incredible. And obviously, you know, when they really get to the end of the series, Sean, uh, you know, his arguments and his feuds with Reggie Miller and, you know, how much that's brought to life. I thought that was great. And honestly, that seven-game series, obviously the Bulls win in 98 over the Pacers to advance to their uh, six finals as that squad. I mean, that, I mean, don't get me wrong, that series against Utah was insane. It was a great 
great series, but that series against Indiana to me was almost better, you know, with Reggie and Michael right at those peaks of those careers. Uh, you know, I mean, especially for Michael, probably with that you know, last, you know, send-off piece, you know, but still at the peak of his career. I mean, really getting to that point, uh, that those were the two things I really took out of from, I guess, Jordan's side. How about you? Well, you mentioned the Reggie Miller feud. I think the most interesting feud, or I didn't really know about, you know, the feud that much, the, the between Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan. I know Isaiah Thomas was part of the bad boys in Detroit and... You know, the Bulls sure. were always falling to them. So, obviously, I knew there was going to be a little bit of bad blood. But I didn't know, like, the extent of it. Like, I didn't, I, I never even actually knew about the walk-off in 91 when they uh, when they fell in the um, in the conference finals to them, uh, getting swept and everything after, you know, the Bulls lost two years in a row to them in, in the playoffs. They yes. come back and, you know, sweep them to, to, you know, advance to the finals finally. When all of them, Thomas and all the others, yeah, walked is. off without shaking your hands, I, I I understand that that that's bad, but I just think it's funny that MJ, you know, is, to this day still called him an asshole for it. And uh, well, he, they are assholes. Yeah, for I, it. I get he that. Has the right to and call him that. With that in, that incident there, on top of you know being part of the bad boys, Michael's influence in building the dream team, I feel, may have kept Isaiah Thomas off of that roster, I mean, arguably was deserved, deserving to be on, you know, the greatest basketball team ever assembled. However, there was more to it. He had, you know, bad chemistry with, with, uh, with Pippen. He had bad chemistry with, you know, Dave Robinson. He had bad chemistry with bird, bad chemistry with magic. It would, it would, it wouldn't be as good. So I can understand why, you know, he was kept off the dream team. Outside of the the feud with Thomas, my favorite moment, and I feel like this might be the internet's favorite moment too, was in the 1996 finals against the Supersonics, Gary Payton claiming that he was able to tire out Michael Jordan. He, he had said that he had to tire the, the, uh, the F out of him, tire him out, and he just said he because I'm tiring him out and banging on him and tiring him out and banging him all game. And then it cuts to a, 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 a image or a video, I should say, of MJ watching this clip. And he's just like, and the, the bug eyes nope. when Gary Payton <laughs> says he's going to tire him out. And he's like, what? And then the, the like, maniacal cackle that he lets out <laughs> after that was so funny. And then he goes to a straight face and he's trying to keep it together. And he goes, I, I have no problem with the glove. Um. And he's like trying to like hold yeah. back laughter while saying that. So I, I, it's just, I think he might be the, the King Savage troll on top of being, uh, you know, his Royal airness there, uh, on top, uh, outside of that, my other one was game five of the 97 finals, the infamous flu game and more came to light. Yes. And it actually wasn't the flu game. It was a food poisoning game. So he was getting hungry the night before at the hotel in Salt Lake City. So keep in mind, he's in enemy he's in enemy territory, so he needs to be careful about where he's eating, right? All the places are closed at this point because it's Utah, and I mean, they're Mormons. Why are they up past like nine o'clock? <laughs> That's that. Uh, not everyone from Utah is Mormons, <laughs> but. 
<laughs> the only place they could find that was open was a pizzeria. So they ordered a large pizza, and MJ claimed to have eaten the entire thing himself. But one of the sketchy things that, from this was there was several delivery drivers bringing the pizza to this hotel room. So I mean, unless they they would have like they would be stupid to say, yeah, this pizza's from Michael Jordan. So why would five delivery drivers? They must have like known Michael was there and got a tip. I'm thinking he was poisoned by some bitter jazz fans. Well, too bad it didn't work. Yep. He got that six peak. Right, screw he? you. And on top of that, yeah. he played 44 minutes that game, 38 points, seven rebounds, three assists, or five assists, I should say, three steals, and a block. So food poisoning didn't even slow down the greatest of all time. Hell no, it didn't. And, you know, exactly. I really think, too, this, you know, for like you were talking about those GOAT conversations, and no, I'm not really interested in having one. But this is to me like Michael Jordan is the greatest athlete. I'm not talking basketball, I'm talking the greatest athlete in the world. No disrespect to Muhammad Ali, but I really do think Jordan is the peak. Six NBA finals, uh, six NBA finals MVPs. I mean, come on. I mean,. Eh. This, when he was in his prime and really, you know, when he had his full, you know, Jordan mojo essentially working, this guy was unstoppable. I forget who said it in the thing, but he said, if, you know, anyone was given a job, any type of job, he said, Michael Jordan did his job to the best better than any other person has ever done their job, you know, in whatever capacity it is. And really from a basketball standpoint and a sports standpoint, this guy got it done on the floor every night. It was an event to go, you know, watch Michael Jordan, even if, you know, you were the uh, home team and Jordan was, you know, the away team coming in. It was a huge event and it just speaks again to the volume and the greatness of Michael Jordan. Uh, those are kind of my final thoughts and pieces on that, Sean. Awesome. Well, that's all we really had on Michael Jordan. It was, you know, really great watching this. I, I it, Seeing this makes me excited to watch the next, you know, big ESPN documentary to come out, which I believe is going to be the summer of 98, the slugfest between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, which now has a little bit of dark side to it. You know, it was great when it happened until you, until you look right. back and you realize what was actually happening. So that's going to be a very interesting documentary to watch. And we'll probably end up talking about it because that was something that really piqued my interest in baseball, really. So I think that's something to, to look forward to. It's coming out in June, I believe, maybe like the 13th or something. I think it's uh, the week before Father's Day. Nice. But we're going to take a quick break here on the Sports Hawks yeah. podcast. On the flip side of this, we're going to bring all the latest news around the rest of the sports world. You're listening to the Sports Hawks podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. You can't buy a best friend. You can love them, walk them, pet them, and care for them, whether they want you to or not. You can take a picture or 50. You can fly to the moon travel the world or just stay in bed you can't buy a best friend like that but you can adopt one there are millions of pets waiting for a best friend just like you help us save them all at bestfriends.org 
Welcome back to the Sportsaholic Podcast. Sean, we're talking about great bulls here. Um, obviously, Michael, the greatest of all time. But the first bull, the first great bull of all time, and great head coach, Jerry Sloan. Jerry Sloan has passed away uh, this week. He died uh, earlier today, actually, at the age of 78. I mean, most people know him for being, uh, you know, the Utah Jazz coach for 23 years and was a 26 year coach in the NBA overall. He obviously took, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the last dance, last black, he was obviously a big part of that. And towards 97 and 98, as he was the uh, jazz head coach during those Western Conference titles for them. Uh, but again, he really was known as the original Bull. He was part of that 1966 expansion class, uh, you know, led by Bob Love and Norm Van Leer. A couple of those guys, um, you know, again, just impressive, impressive, impressive career. And the most impressive thing, or this one that really stands out to me about Sloan, I would have never had this, had this nap on ESPN, though. Thanks, ESPN. But, uh, he remains, Sean Conway, the only NBA player to average more than seven rebounds and more than two steals per game in his respective career. Oh, wow. There we go. Uh, on top of that, Jerry Sloan was a uh, Southern Illinois native. It is, it is very sad, sad news. A lot of, uh, a lot of people down here in Southern Illinois have, uh, have been you know, posting a lot today. Um, he has been battling... Parkinson's and dementia for quite some time now. I believe he was diagnosed back in 2016. Yes, but the uh, the Hamilton County um, Foxes, their that, that's that's their nickname, retweeted. I just I, that's how I found this. But Scotty Pippen actually tweeted out uh, kind of a, a, a memoriam, I guess, for for Jerry Sloan. He said, "I loved everything about Jerry Sloan from the way he played to the way he coached." He was a tenacious competitor who represented the Bulls of the 70s so well. Jerry became right. one of my favorite coaches when he was on the 1996 Dream Team staff, and it was an honor to learn from him. And then he shared two pretty cool photos, like a, a posed photo of Jerry Sloan in his uniform and then an action shot, and it looks like they were at home. Can't see who they were playing, but it's a sad day. Um, hopefully he went peacefully. That's all I, all I have to uh, you know pray for and thoughts and prayers with the Sloan family right now and to the uh, anyone who knew him in the, in the McLeansboro area down here in Southern Illinois. Well put, Sean. Well put. Again, our hearts to go out to Jerry Sloan and his family right here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. And other news this week, Sean Conway, the NFL, it seems like they're always in these rule change proposals and battles. Apparently they have two or three more proposals or changes, if I'm not mistaken. No, you are correct there. There's a uh, there's a couple of proposals that are gaining some momentum. It's kind of minor rule changes. They want to add a booth umpire, umpire kind of like a sky judge, but add a booth umpire and a tech advisor to the um, officiating staff. Okay. That'll help them to you know monitor replays and every, everything, and then as well as someone who can handle that equipment properly. Because let's let's face it, these refs probably don't know you know the most about this technology outside of that there's a there's another one that's been gaining traction an onside kick um, replacement so you instead of uh, electing to onside kick you let the officials know that you would like to attempt to retain possession you get the ball back at your own 25 yard line and you have one play 
to gain 15 yards. If you can gain 15 yards, you retain possession. So it's kind of like a make it, take it. Kind of like uh, schoolyard basketball, but schoolyard football, make it, take it. So if you score, you want to keep the keep you know running up the scoreboard. More power to you. I think that one's pretty cool. Might be a, I know it kick you know the 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 kickoff is always just a dangerous place. So any way you can avoid that interaction, probably best for the game. I'm right and against then, you on that. On I think it's extreme. Excuse I me? think it's extremely lame, Sean, to be honest with you, the proposed idea. This isn't the Canadian Football League. This is the NFL. Part of the game is kicking, and part of the game here is the return game. I really don't like this uh, new proposed rule. Uh, again, this is, this is the NFL, not the CFL. <laughs> All right, and then on top of that, they're looking to expand um, you know, the return rules. For uh, like punt returns and kick returns for defensive de- defensive players, they need to be able to retain uh, possession and ready themselves to ward off oncoming defenders. So no like instant collisions, like as soon as you, you catch the ball colliding. Although those are fun and exciting plays to watch, the safety is the most important here. So I can understand that rule. Another one is to close the loophole that allows teams to drain the clock. Um, with oh dead God, ball fouls, the Titans and Pats kind of uh, took advantage of this this past season, and they're going to look to uh, close that loophole so you don't have that opportunity to drain the clock out as easy. I'm, oh, fan, all I'm of... a fan of most of these of these proposals. Um, you know, I, I have no problem with adding more officiating crews if it helps. You know, to make better calls on the field. Sure. I think the onside kick. You can. I feel like maybe not. Instead of an onside kick, you could still try to do an onside kick, but this is an alternative that makes it a little bit more interesting. I know you're a traditionalist when you come to your sports, Max, but come on, broaden your horizons. Not uh, for this one, Sean. Like the There's other things I'd like to. And on top of that, let's keep the game. You know, I wouldn't say fair, but let's keep it. You know. A game, not but not just you know watching. The clock Let's not manipulate the clock here, right? Minutes. Right, exactly. Let's not manipulate the clock here. That's the rule I actually am most in favor for. For I did not care for that. I mean, it was a big loophole. If you're a smart guy like a, a Bill Belichick or a Mike Vrabel, like you said, of the Titans and Patriots, you know, those are two smart coaches who are going to you know exercise that type of loophole. So yes, I'm glad that the NFL has closed that. Uh, off again. I'm not really in favor. I, I like the onside kick. I think the onside kick itself just has a lot of allure to it because it doesn't really work too often. But when it does, it's one of the best plays in football. Not in favor of this uh, rule again uh, proposed by Philadelphia. And it doesn't seem like Sean Conway that the Major League Baseball players are fully convinced yet right now of what the league is saying. Um, obviously. Uh, Management presented uh, the union and all 30 teams' uh, proposal last Friday. We kind of got into it and talked about it. Uh, The union said Thursday, though, it addressed these particular issues. Uh, Those issues would be protections for high-risk players, access to pre- and post-game therapies, testing frequency, protocols for positive tests, 
and in-stadium medical personnel and, sta- and sanitation procedures. So this is kind of what we keep, it seems like, going over and over. And I, we brought this point up last week, Sean. Like, you know, they, they don't want these guys to have tobacco, which I can almost understand because of that health hazard itself. But, like, you can't be spitting. They want, you know, not the, you know, the first baseman not to cover guys so they can be six feet apart. To me, again, it's too weird. It's too surreal for what you're trying to do this year again with health and with this potential second wave of the coronavirus i again just cancel it for the rest of this year and let's start getting ready for spring training 2021 when things are going to be a lot safer yeah honestly it's probably going to lean toward that's what's going to be happening and that's just because there is too many you know what ifs and questions about it right now and honestly, it, what it comes down to is, yeah, take a pay cut or not going to play. I don't think these players are going to agree to a large pay no. cut like that. So on top of that, you might not get baseball this year. You know, maybe we'll have to, you know, relive sports throughout our 30 for 30 documentaries, right? Yeah, no, exactly. You know, there's going to be a lot of that to catch up on. Uh, speaking of the uh, financial piece, though, uh, Major League Baseball, though, Sean, is expected to make an economic proposal to the union within the next couple of days because MLB obviously is really hoping to start the season by early July. So obviously that revenue share is going to have to, you know, come up a little bit more on the player side because, again, this 50-50 agreement thing clearly is not in favor uh of the union again we talked about tony clark's statements last weekend on that so i won't go over those again but it seemed pretty in, in, intent that they were not going to do this 50 50 so we'll see what the new proposal is going to be to the union again that's going to come in the next few days so we'll hang on there uh tight there but again next few days today is friday uh, again may 22nd at about 3:45 chicago time and just a couple of hours on uh sunday uh, at 7 o'clock p.m., Sean Conway, the Washington Nationals will host a virtual World Series ring ceremony. Again, the ceremony is going to start at 7 o'clock. It will be uh, broadcasted on MLB Network as well as the Nationals website, the Nationals Facebook page, and the Nationals uh, YouTube channel so this is going to be an interesting way of doing it because obviously normally sean players get their rings you know within that first month or so or they pick a certain day in the season to honor those mm-hmm. players and distribute those rings uh national general manager mike rizzo had this to say before i let you get in here sean he said i think it's unfortunate that we won't do it in front of our home fans in the ballpark but I think we're going to reach a heck a lot of more people by doing it this way. All right. Well, uh, let's finish off on the slick stuff before we go to break. And uh, the Sounds NHL good. finally doing something, uh, except for just extending their, their quarantine policy. Uh, they have released their what they've been discussing on how they will resume the season when they do return. What's being proposed right now is a 24-team playoff format where the top four teams in each conference will get buys the first, uh, the first round, while seeds 5 through 12 will face off in five-game play-in series to uh, get into the playoffs from there on out. And they'll choose two hub cities to, uh, to host these in for, you know, Western and Eastern conferences. And then they're considering... About eight to nine locations right now. 
for those two hub cities. I think this is interesting. It's kind of fair since the season is, you know, it was pretty much over. They only had, like, I think 12 games left, but there were still teams that could have or could have not made their case. So I can, I can understand the 2014 playoff, give everyone a fair shot at having a good run once the playoffs do, uh, do resume. Max, what's your take on that? I think it's awful, Sean Conway. I'm going to start off with that. <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm shocked you don't like that idea. No, I really, again, I, I, people, I mean, I don't, again, I hate to screw people over this year, but again, people have already been screwed. Graduation classes are, you know, our college athletes. It has to happen to our pro athletes. What I don't want to see, Sean, exactly, we're talking about, I really think basketball and hockey, those two sports, are going to be kind of the precedent because those were the first, two first sports to be shut down do the coronavirus i would like those seasons to happen this year in 2020 i would like those seasons to happen i don't need to see the 2019 2020 season resume cancel it again this is not safe to me this is not the safest policy you're only gonna have two arenas so again that's a lot more germ spread in 24 teams are you kidding me this is beyond ridiculous sports needs to stop coming up with these dumb dumb, laughable proposables to save the least Sean Conway. This is inexcusable to me. A 2014 playoffs. Hey, at least the Blackhawks would make the playoffs on the bright side, which we haven't done yeah. in three years. But as yeah, the eight that, seed, is the very a, last... Come on, I thought you'd be seed. on board with that. No, because think about it. I hate to say it, this is where the Hawks get nixed on a, uh, on a better draft pick because of, uh, of protection like this. So, no, I'm not in favor of, of, of this. Again, I think hockey and basketball are the two sports that need to resume the quickest because they've been out, in a sense, the longest. And their season, again, is, is, is you know, every, every day it seems like it's getting more and more jeopardy. Stop. Stop playing the rest of this year. Start focusing on later this year in 2020 when the new season resumes because by then you're going to want to have fans be able to come in. You know, by then you're really going to be fiending for sports. You know, by then I can make another couple by then, you know, statements that would seek true to our listeners. So I just go at this point, shut it down, and let's start focusing on, you know, later this year. Fair enough, fair enough. I'm just, you know, I'm itching for sports. The UFC is back, so we have that. I'll, uh, I'll touch up on, you know, what we missed this past weekend and more on the flip side of this break. But we are going to take a break here on the Sports Hogs podcast with Max Zucker and Sean Conway. There are a few things Max or I like more than tossing back a few beers and watching the game. But don't worry, if you happen to miss the game, we've got your back. Tune in to the Sports Hall Podcast with myself, Max Zucker, alongside Sean Conway, with new episodes available weekly on SoundCloud. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with new shows and our occasional takes on things happening in the sports world throughout the week. And welcome back to the Sports Hall Podcast. Sean, we hit the final lap here. Before you bring us drink of the week, I'm going to get into my trivia question, as I always do. This one relating to, of course, is Ernest Michael Jordan, one of the greatest of all time. And this defining statistic, Sean, I mean, you can list off, I feel like, any other MJ statistic. This, You know, the six rings, the six finals MVPs, the five regular season MVPs, yada, yada. This statistic, if you have not heard this about Michael Jordan, proves why he is the greatest of all time. So, Sean Conway, 
During his tenure with the Chicago Bulls, so this is not looking at his time in Washington. This is just strictly with his tenure during mm-hmm. the Bulls. Michael Jordan. We, we, we like to forget about the Wizards. Yeah. Let's forget about yeah, that. Yeah, I shouldn't have even brought that up. You're right. So during his tenure with the Bulls, Jordan faced 983 opponents, as in, you know, people, essentially. And he outscored Sean Conway 982 of those 983. Who is the one player who outscored Michael, uh, who outscored him, essentially? I don't think it was Gary Payton. No, it was <laughs> no, and I'll give you three. I'm gonna give you three strikes uh, on this one, Sean. Uh, I'll let Gary Payton slide, but no, I'll give you three strikes. You know, I think I know this one. It's 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 Allen Iverson. Yes, it? it is. It is Allen Iverson, which is really. I'm glad you got this. I was gonna say this one either you kind of know it or you don't. I would give you the uh, the credit on this one. Iverson, 27.1 points. These guys faced each other, by the way, 13 different times. They faced off, never in the playoffs, all regular season. And either way, Iverson, 27.1 points compared to Jordan's 24. That's the only player, again, who outscored Michael Jordan of his 983 opponents during his tenure with the Bulls. Now that's dominance. That is that is dominance. And it's pretty uh, pretty impressive for Allen Iverson to, guess, to have that on his resume as well. Hey, one of the greatest um, scorers of all time. I'm not surprised, Sean, that it is AI, to be honest with you. Just due to his prolific scoring, as you well know. Sean, now that I've done my trivia question, what do you got for Drink of the Week, sir? Well, as we opened the show, we talked about some of the foods we made all week, and I I said I was on an Irish kick. I had Guinness to start the week, and I had uh, Smittix in the middle of the week as well. (laughs) But uh, I kind of moved to a more Friday-fitting beverage here, and I decided, since I've not had this one on the show before, to... uh, have a Jameson Black Barrel. Hmm. It's a, uh, it's a little bit uh, more up there in the, in the like the top shelf for Jameson and everything. Okay. I mean, it's only like thirty five dollars, but honestly, it's it's smooth. Like, I mean, it's it's probably one of the most smooth Irish whiskeys you're gonna get from a Jameson, I should say at least. And outside of that, the bottle's cool. Normal 40% ABV. It's got a cork top bottle. Nice. And like I said, it's not, it's not even confrontational at all on the sip. I drink my whiskey straight with, uh, with a, a couple cubes in there maybe. But outside of that, this is a fantastic whiskey. Hell yeah, hell yeah. No, again, I don't drink a lot of whiskeys, but I, like I said, I've been trying a couple of the Jameson, a couple of those cast makes in particular. I'm actually going to have a little bit of your favorite Tullamore Dew later on when I to help me compliment the uh, lovely corned beef I have still going in my crack pot. But no, I'm quite curious about the Black Barrel Jameson. I mean, that sounds really, really... Um, Interesting, something that I'd at least like to, you know, take a sip of, try once. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So in Fight Corner, we had uh, UFC Fight Night over the weekend. Again, Alistair Overeem with the TKO win over Walt Harris in the second round in that heavyweight bout. There were a few other fights that night, but that one was really the, the fight of the night. And then there's a few fights now set for UFC 250, including... Up and comer Sean O'Malley will have a bout in the uh, in in 250. The date is yet to be determined because they're waiting on Vegas to give him the green light. But it'll be held in Vegas, hopefully sometime next month. 
for UFC 250. That is looking good. I'll have more to talk about that in the coming weeks. We have a lot of fights that were set for like July, but I'm not going to talk about those when they're that far ahead. No. However, outside of that, not really else much in Fight Corner this weekend. Got a lot to talk about. Next week, we have uh, Tory Hunter versus Andrew Jones and Billy Wagner versus Jeff Kent in our bids side of the bracket. And then on the snub side, the infamous Pete Rose snub from the Hall oh, of Fame. Oh, yeah. Taking on Bernie Williams and then Don Mattingly taking on Fred McGriff. Oh, great first baseman the battle. Snubs. So we've got we've got some uh, good matchups next week for the bids and snubs. We'll have all the news in the sports world outside of that. And on top of that, maybe we'll tell you what's cooking. Oh and, yeah. Uh, maybe Max will have some trivia for me, and I'll have another drink of the week. We'll see. No, that sounds about right, Sean Conway. Uh, two things that we really uh, quickly missed on these things just coming in, Sean Conway. Uh, the SEC is going to allow. Uh, voluntary workouts starting June 8th, and that goes to all SEC's uh, 14 universities. And guess who's going to be coming in to back up Sam Darnold of the Jets? That's going to be Mr. Joe Flacco. He is off the market, Sean Con. Oh, yeah, wow. John, uh, Sean, he is going to the Jets on a one-year deal worth $1.5 million in base pay, plus a chance to make another $3 million with incentives. So Joe Flacco no longer on the QB market as he'll back up Darnold in New York. Sean, I think, again, that's a great way of uh, wrapping up our show for the week. I had a lot of fun doing bids and snubs this week. I'm looking forward to next week's matchup. Can't wait. It's going to be a really good one, especially uh, – uh, that McGriff one, I'm excited. And Mattingly, that's going to be really uh, exciting. Jason James, thanks for providing your song five tonight. Much appreciated as always, sir. Oh, hey, one week till summer, sir. Woo-woo. Uh, and so, of course, to our weekly fans and listeners, Sean, how can we forget them? You guys are great. We appreciate you week in and week out right here on the Sportsaholic Podcast. Signing off for Sean Conway. I'm Max Zucker. Nobody.